Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I am your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and so grateful to share this episode with you today. I'm a counselor, and I often spend time thinking and wondering, like, what does it mean to be healthy? So much of the work that I do is, is helping people kind of getting out of a place of illness or a place of injury or a place of distress and moving them to a place of equilibrium and balance. But is that it? Is, is health just the absence of illness or is health something more? And connected to that question, what does it mean to be happy? Is, is happiness an end to and of itself or is it really just a byproduct of living the good life? These are the questions that I'm tackling in today's episode, and joining me is my good friend, Dr. Carlos Gomez, who is a licensed psychologist and an executive coach in the Miami area. Dr. Carlos Gomez and I, we go way back, and I've been so proud of him because over the last few months, he's really dedicated his life to his own personal health and well-being. He has gone through a journey of weight loss that has just opened up all these avenues inside of him. And so he's vulnerable in this episode. And we talk about that as an analogy, not only for himself, but for all of us who are trying to get healthier. And so in this episode, we talk about that journey for him of, of weight loss, while also then talking about this new movement in mental health called positive psychology. And how is positive psychology different than traditional approaches of mental health and psychology? We also, again, talk about what it means to be healthy and really spend the bulk of the episode defining uh, wellness through the lens of Gallup's five essentials of well-being. So we talk about wellness in career, in social, in financial, in physical, and in community life. Awesome, awesome episode, super practical for you guys today. So I really hope that you enjoy it. And as always, when the show is done, please don't forget to subscribe and to share with your friends. Find me on Facebook at Dr. Mario Sacasa or Instagram if that's your platform of choice. And I look forward to dialoguing with you there. Hit me up with questions. Let me know what you think about this episode. And let's get into this conversation with Dr. Carlos Gomez. Dr. Carlos Gomez, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing, man? Doing great, Mario. So good to be here with you today. Man, um, I'm actually really excited about this interview. Not that I haven't been excited about any of my other interviews, but I'm really excited about this one because the audience doesn't know this, but you're one of my closest friends and we have journeyed together for many, many years. Um, and I've always been amazed that as our journey has, has kind of mirrored in many ways, um, that this new kind of stage or phase that we find ourselves in is, is in a desire um, to continue to serve the church, certainly but finding more health and, and balance in our lives. Um, and so I know for you in a particular way, health and, and wellness has been a, a focus for your life over the last year. And so just kind of tell us a little bit, what does that mean for you? What, is that, what does that look like for you personally? Thank you, Mario. So one of the things that uh, obviously you can't do this on this podcast, but struggle that I've had probably really starting um, my senior year in high school, but into college, and onward has been a struggle that's not uncommon to other people um, as, you know, and that is in the area of weight gain and obesity. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, you know, as I, we, I mentioned those, that kind of pinpoint point, I can remember now what happened at that time. And that's when I gone from, um, from being, uh, you know, just a typical high school student, you know, worried about a lot of things, academics not being <clears throat> one of them. I realized that uh, I needed to get my acting gear. And so 
what I did is I went into high performance mode. I know we're going to talk about that another time. I went into what looked like I was on fire. Uh, I had not done so well academically. All of a sudden, I was really working hard, really preparing myself to go into college, uh, which was successful. I got into the school that I wanted to get to, which was kind of an unlikely uh, step there. But that came at the expense of my uh, gone from playing sports uh, and doing other things to having balance in other parts of my life. The, the focus there was at the, at the expense of my own health. So I was doing SAT, you know, SAT prep, other things. I remember having M&Ms next to me and just popping sugar and candy and caffeine at 17 years old, making, uh, you know, now it's no big deal. Everybody goes to, to Starbucks. But I mean, you know, <laughs> making, making espressos, you know, and other things, just, you know, a triple, quadruple shot uh, cappuccino just to keep me going because of how much ketchup I had to do. And that came at the expense of my health. So I started gaining weight. Um, and then that's a progressive journey. Uh, I'm five, nine, uh, when I was wrestling, I sophomore year was a one sixty five. Uh, when I got to college, I had gained about 60 pounds mm. and then an ongoing pattern of yo-yoing until reaching again. So let's keep in mind about one sixty five, one seventy was my probably not probably more than healthy. My, my fit weight, um, you know, throw another 200 pounds on top of that <clears throat> and add a few more for luck. And that's how high up I got on my highest point. Mm. And these things happen slowly. So as I worked um, through college, uh, making bad, all sorts of bad choices, <laughs> bad choices, especially my first two years. And, and then um, like my doctors, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, you know, and then I got, I got my spiritual side. You know, I, I, I was realized that I was very quickly going towards death. So through God's grace, I listened to God's word, began to get that part of my life in order. But, um, you know, for example, the drinking got replaced with milkshakes, you know, and so continuing to hit that compulsive behavior when we're out of balance, compulsivity or addictions or burnout are things that come with it. And so and experience elements of that, you know, uh, I don't know about addictions, but compulsivity. Absolutely. You know, especially with the eating. Uh, and beginning to um, to continue to gain, you know, until uh, – and, and having a very successful career, but at the expense of my health. And so, yeah, so this – so um, I've gone through three major attempts to get that part of my life in order. Uh, th- and the first two were through extreme measures. And this time around uh, really has been the beginning of the year. Um, we can talk about that if you like what happened. Uh, with that, I've began to um, – to do this kind of, you know, it's kind of the old, you know, most of your listeners won't remember the old um, commercials. I think it was Schwab, which was, um, you know, we make money the old fashioned way. You ever hear that? No, you got me on that yeah. one. So even our difference, it's like, you know, it's an old commercial, which was um, we make money the old fashioned way. We earn it. We earn it. Yes. So I've had to really just through, let's say, you know, move, le- move less, eat smarter. And this has been a journey I've been all year. So. That's a long answer, and but I mean, no. Thank you for your, thank you for just being vulnerable and being honest with all of us, you know, and sharing this journey. Because I think for many of us, whether it's weight or some other um, compulsive behavior, we can all identify certainly with the journey that's there. Now, bro, I know it's been a, a beautiful journey for you as as we've talked and as we've shared. Um, and so, I guess what I would want to know is, as you've looked at the the last year and the lifestyle changes that you've made, and you've made previous attempts, like you said, or two other attempts. Uh, to to really losing weight, um, but 
this time, it seems that something's different. And what has been different uh, over this this time, this year, versus the previous extreme measures that you took? That you took. Thank you, Mario. That's a, that's a great question. So, as you and I have talked about, I've been making a shift in in my own professional practice. You know, I know we're going to talk about that later. Uh, but as I began this shift and began to envision what it is that God's calling me to do, I engaged in some visioning activities. You know, and one of the things that uh, probably by November of last year. So when you talk about change, there's stages of change. And there, there's a place where you say, I want to make a change. And I've been saying that forever. There's a period when you're kind of getting ready to do the, the things to the change, you know, the contemplation process. And so um, kind of did a, a life review of my life, you know, in, in particularly professionally. And um, and, and, this, when, and, and so in, I ended up doing like a logo or like a drawing what it looked like. And it was very focused and it was a very um, alive, a vision of, you know, kind of the, in, in, of, of my future, a very alive, um, just colorful, very hope-filled image. And the question was, as I looked at it, it, it touched a fire in me that had been gone for a while. So I, what I would begin to say is there was a desire to be alive again. Mm. So, uh, and, you know, and in, in sometimes people talk about the difference between living to work and working to live, which is imperfect. But what it is, is this need to be alive again. So so in seeing that and in realizing that many folks who had a lot of successes in their lives, especially when they overreached or they've gone too far in performance, the body takes a hit. And so working with a coach actually became very clear that my physical wellness is something that I had completely ignored and so the goal was to be able to walk around the block once per day. And quite frankly, that was hard. So what really got it going for me was finding that fire in me, a fire to feel like myself again. And this awareness that living, it's almost like that, what was that Disney movie? You know, they have where uh, everybody, where, um, Wally, I think it is. No, Wally. No, one of these movies where everybody's sitting in, in like the big, like yeah, flying it's Wally. scooters. It's Wally. Wally, yeah. right? It's Wally. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's me, dude. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, like, I, I think somebody took a picture of me because if, because if I could take my, if, if I could be in a chair that would take me to my car or take me home, I would have done that. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the goal is to, you know, is, is the biological goal to move at least as possible. Mm. And yet in this process and with my own children, um, where they're becoming athletes. Uh, accompanying him somewhere, re- you know, really struggling in an event earlier this year, realizing that how far I've become from who I am and yet having this awareness that I, that I could do better, that my yeah. life could be better. Yeah. It's I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's kind of, well, it does. It's your story. It's so it answers. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. So, so in reality, ironically, because that part of my life was so out of balance, Temporarily, I had to by re, rebound, you know, so this initial balance, I had to really put a lot of energy into it to get myself moving again, to get myself back to that. And um, in this journey I've been on, the first three months were not about not ever feeling that way again, you know, which is easy when you make change, make when you make change in the negative to get away from bad things, not negative as good and bad, but, you know, you know, trying to avoid a painful experience. That's easy. The hard thing is 50 pounds later, got to a place where I mean, if you ever ha- if you have a kid that weighs close to 50 pounds, pick up the kid and carry that kid around for 10 minutes. 
and then walk without that kid. Those 50 pounds off made such a difference. The hardest step then becomes, how do I really get pulled into getting healthy or every day in balance with my life? And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Now, bro, look, as you're, as you're talking about, you know, lifestyle changes, one of the things that I've always been amazed is, is like, we talk about God's desires for us and how God desired, right. For you to be healthy. Um, Without a doubt. But it like required so many different facets to kind of come together. And I really think, and I want to talk about this right now, one, one element, certainly your motivation for your family, motivation for yourself in your career, just to be healthy, all those things. But I, I think that another piece of this has been kind of really encountering positive psychology and understanding the coaching, kind of executive coaching movement. Um, so like, what is positive psychology and how is it different or, than traditional approaches to, to mental health services? That's a great question. So, so positive psychology, in a, in a nutshell, um, it's really the psych, psychology that's concerned with being the best version of yourself you can, you know, which is a cliche, but it's, it's fulfilling human potential, human flourishing, or the best little tagline is the psychology of living the good life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so the question there becomes, what is a good life, right? Because if, if you let Madison Avenue, in parentheses, you know, the advertising people tell you, the good life is, is a, it's a hedonistic life. It's the good life is having the yacht, the money, the helicopter, you know, and you add your own uh, vices into it. I got to sell you know, those things? Oh, man. <laughs> no, no, you, no, no, you don't sell them. I don't have any of them. Sell them. You don't have any of them. <laughs> no, you get those things. See, that's a good life. You know, the good life is to, you know, to sell everything out to get that, you know, all the materialistic stuff. I mean, so there's a part, even, even within positive psychology, there's, there's an element of the, uh, you know, which is, this has been since the beginning of time. Right. But there's another element of, of psychology that looks more and it, and it looks so consistent with the faith. And that is the psychology of, of being a good person, psychology of being a good life, living a life that is consistent with who, with who we are meant to be. So it's very virtue-based, you know, and what's fascinating is um, some of the research. And again, what's great about, you know, what's great about this interview we're doing right now is this is more, um, you know, I'm not ready to teach about this, but I'll tell you what I'm discovering in it. Because this is kind of like, um, you know, if you do the Tour of France or whatever it is, you're catching me at the first stop, right? So the question, this is this is a long time, lifelong journey, right? But um but when we talk about um, the the virtue based, is there has been because we think about the virtues in, ter in terms of Catholicism only, but the research has been done on virtues is uh, is cross cultural, taking all the major religions, philosophical systems of the world, and uh, folks like Seligman and Peterson coming together with these list of virtues. That actually, or 24 strengths or virtues that come together um, to live the good life, you know, and, and how do you balance these? And and it's, they're all good. And, yeah. you, know, the, and not, you know, when you take away, you look at it from a secular perspective, not one is particularly better than the other one, but there's, there's some that we aspire to and we begin to look at those and some, and perhaps um, my, the virtues I'm looking at may be out of order. So I have to look at myself and see. Where I'm going to go with that. So the positive psychology beyond just looking at, but beyond the virtue, 
you start looking at just fascinating research because this looks so Catholic. Is the you know the importance of gratitude, uh, forgiveness. Uh, you, you're looking at psychology, um, you know, uh, you know, just of love, of attachment. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, you know, what are these things that make us a better person? But what's beautiful about it is that you're doing it in terms of a vision of how can I be the best person of myself? That's, that's the boss psychology side of it. Yeah. That's, let, me stop, let me stop you right there. Cause yeah. I, I love what you're saying right now in, in using you as an analogy, if I may, you talked about, you know, fear, losing 50 pounds, the fear of, of being unhealthy only gets you so far. And then there comes a point where you need something else that motivates you. And so if we look at the losing the 50 pounds by analogy of like, okay, I don't want to feel sad or I don't want to feel anxious or I, I don't want to be depressed. The fear of being put in that negative state can, can motivate you to some degree to get out of it. But when you get out of it, what does that mean? What does it mean to, to keep going? What does it mean to flourish? What does it mean to be the best version of yourself? And, and it seems that, that, that those questions are what positive psychology is trying to answer um, from a psychological perspective. Of course, we can look at this from a, from a Catholic perspective, a spiritual perspective, sure. but just mental health and well-being, looking at it and recognizing that there is a lot of research that supports that. And when we buy into what that vision is, well, now it's kind of like it, the baton The baton is passed off and you're out of the dysfunction. You're out of the, the, the state of illness, if we can use that language, um, and now moving towards a, a state of health. And and you said it right. I think Seligman kind of puts out the, if I remember the, the classifications correctly, what he talks about is like the pleasant life. You know, that's the Madison Avenue life. That's just, you know, you get everything that you want. You think happiness is going to come from, you know, buying a lot of things and being satisfied. Okay, great. You know what? But at the end of the day, that's not the good life. That's not, that's not what it really means. And because the good life then is, is it doesn't make happiness the end game. Happiness is a byproduct when we're living the good life. Yeah, but yes, but but here's a key thing. Okay, so I'm yep. so glad you, you clarified it that way because, uh, you know, the part the the hiddenness, the hedonic path of psychology, is also important. Okay, and this is I think that where where it adds is because see, so hedonism at its complete at, at its complete imbalance. So one of the things actually in positive psychology is any strength. If you take any strength, and you take it to the extreme. It becomes a vice anyway. And anything that may be a vice, if you look at it from the right perspective, it shows a part of our of who we are that's important. So that's so for example, uh, a very important part of the hedonic path, something you and I are working on together, is the concept of life satisfaction. So there's a place where uh, where satisfaction and enjoyment are important and and, the, and they're byproducts of the choices we make. The issue is, is my, um, you know, is, is my goal the satisfaction? And so, and so you take that to any of those things that we need for life, right? So one of the things of theology of the body, which you and I have kind of come close to discussing, is, is God gave in each one of our, uh, and if you want to take a non-faith, you know, just nature, if you want to call it, but you know, we know it's God. Um, you know, eating has a satisfying component, you know, sleep. I love sleep especially when I, when I can actually get some. <laughs> so sleep has an enjoyment part of it, you know? Uh, reproduction has an enjoyment part of it. The problem is when we separate uh, the byproduct 
the enjoyment and make the enjoyment the goal. And that's where the imbalance comes in. So some positive psychology, uh, we're recognizing that all these behaviors we engage in have a reinforcing part of it. So it's not to say that there is a good, you know, there's a stoic and a hedonistic Mm -hmm. psychology. It's both. And sometimes when we look at our own lives, many times as as you and I have been therapists, people really struggle with guilt or being joyful. People have a successful, they have a chance to take vacation and they feel guilt because I'm going on vacation or I feel guilt because of this. And so there's a belief sometimes that to be a good Catholic, I have to be a a suffering martyr all the time because enjoyment is completely devoid of of Catholicism. So looking at that area again, positive psychology has two main paths. And yet they both inform who we are. And so when you're looking at clinical psychology, clinical psychology has a very important part of it. And you and post psychology is not the new answer, the new salvation, but rather it's a balance. It's it's a, it's to use well, they use the word the yin yang. There's a there's a necessary to balance things. It helps balance things. So the reality is when somebody is engaging in a compulsive behavior, they're trying to feed a satisfaction that's not happening somewhere else. Or something that's missing. So, um, so yes, yeah, so life satisfaction, satisfaction with life um, is very important. There's an, also an element where you can even say my satisfaction in my relationship with God. Okay. So there's a place where and in the Sermon of Spirits, right? If, if my experience of God leaves me in desolation every single time, the question is, you know, there's a place where we believe that God created us for joy. I don't know if that makes sense there. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're getting to it. So, um, Carlos, you're throwing out a lot of different terms that I think are, are, are really beautiful. Um, we talk about, um, you know, forgiveness, um, life satisfaction, um, guilt. So as we bring all this together, let me just ask you, in, in your definition, in you both professionally and personally then, and this might sound like a really dumb question, but what I then, know. <laughs> what then does health look like? How do we actually know when we are operating from a position of health? That's a beautiful question. Because, uh, again, talk about the Western medicine, right? Which is, I'm not a physician, but, you know, but it, it informs how we look at things. Uh, until recently, the, a lot of the belief was health is the absence of illness. Right. Right. So I go see my doctor. You know, they look at me. They look at my blood work. My blood work is great. You're healthy. You're healthy. You know, it's like, you know, it's it's like, you know, no, don't worry. The machine's fine. This machine will release for at least another year. See me in a year and I'll tell you, if, if, you know, I'll give you a one year. So a very good chance you'll be alive a year from now. Come back next year for your next checkup and we'll let you know whether you're still alive, right? Yeah, thanks. Or whether, or whether you're likely to be dying soon, okay? Right. So that, that's 1% of health. But, but the reality is, um, same thing as in spirituality and wealth, you know, but health is, there's two reality. We're, so we're all born to die. We're all going to die at some point, right? I mean, that's the reality. And so, but, but even with the baby, you talk about the well baby visit, right? And you've had, you, you know, you, 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 your spouse has been to a lot of them. Maybe you've been to one or two. I'm hey. not sure. I've been to a few of them. I have four kids. Okay. I've been to a few. <laughs> At least once per kid. At least. <laughs> At least. Forgive me, guys. I'm not making fun here. I'm just, uh, I'm not poking fun. I'm saying thank you to all the, to all the moms who really carry a lot of this work, you know? Yes. Uh, you know, it's, uh, but, but it will baby visit. Check the baby. A baby, is the baby growing fine? The baby's growing within certain, ma- 
parameters. Things look fine. I know, mom, you're worried about these things not happening. Don't worry. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. That's the old version of health. The, the version of health is, am I in wellness or illness? Am I heading? So is that baby developing towards becoming a full adult, healthy adult, or is, or, or is the baby not? In our own life, is am I living life? Am I grateful and able to live life to its fullness, given my circumstances? So I think that, and I think that circumstances is very important because we in America live under so many benefits where, and, and is that some, that's the reality, but if you take it even further into uh, our understanding of us in terms of anthropology, right? So God created God create us with, 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 um, you know, with free will. God created us with uh, ability to reason. And, you know, more recently, you say God created us for a relationship. Am I somebody who is able, able to maintain a good relationship with others, relationship with myself, and a good relationship with God? And that begins an area of wellness. And in that relationship, am I being a good steward of who I am and what I have? So there's many different concepts of wellness, a lot of different definitions of wellness. When we talk about wellness is, Am I, you know, people many times, you know, to St. Irenaeus, right? God, you know. Glory of God is man fully alive. Man fully alive. Am I fully alive? Am I able to be fully alive with what God's calling me today? And and so for some, and there's, you know, there's a, there's a country song. Um, I wish I could remember it. It's, you know, you know, I wish I could, you know, I wish, you know, I, it, it says something like, you know, I wish what someday you can live like you're dying. You know, it's talking about in whatever condition I'm in, am I able to fully experience myself? And, and so I believe that's where wellness comes in. So when you're young and you have the benefits of, of physical health, am I doing things to, am I doing, we talk about spiritual exercises. Am I doing my physical exercises, you know? Am I being a good steward of my finances? Am I somebody who's giving to my community? Am I being, am I responsible to those who depend on me emotionally? Uh, you know, so wellness is, about the whole person. I don't know if that makes, you know, you know, it's about the whole person. It's not just, it's not just, is my A1C okay or not? Right. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's like what I'm thinking about right now is I think we all know and can point to moments where we felt miserable in our life and where we have been ill. We know what those feelings of, of sickness are. And then we come out of feeling sick, whether physically or emotionally. And it's like, okay, well now what do I do? And because with respect, because the, the, and I say this, but it's true, the hedonistic kind of pleasures are there and it's so easy to satisfy every little ache and longing that we have. I want to get a drink and get a drink. I want to get a cup of coffee. I can do that. I don't even have to leave anymore. People can bring it to me. I want to have sex. That's easy to do. You know, it's like everything is cheap in terms of the emotions that sometimes that can um, stifle us or blunt us from actually trying to find what the full vision of who we really are is. Mm. And, and, and so. Like thinking again, um, you talk about, okay, man fully alive. Well, what does that mean? I mean, like, how do I know when I'm fully alive? Like what, like that, that's the question I'm asking because if, if, if I know what it feels to be miserable, but I'm, but I'm otherwise too blunted in my emotion to feel alive, or I'm too guilt every time I actually feel happy because with respect to our, sometimes we, we grew up with this Catholic guilt, this notion that I can't even feel happy, then, then how can I actually rest? <laughs> like knowing that I'm, I'm, I'm in that state of wellness or in that state of, 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 uh, of, of well-being or health.
This is Dr. Mario, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Carlos Gomez to remind you to please leave me a rating or subscribe to the show. Both of these help this magical algorithm that Apple or Spotify or any of these other places have to be able to help promote this show so that other people can have access to the great content that you're receiving on the Always So podcast. Thank you so much for being a listener. It really means a lot to me. God bless you guys. And let's get back into this conversation. So what are markers to look for? I, I know that there are a few different kind of models that are out there that are all kind of converge. Certainly we have Seligman's positive psychology. We have the Clifton strength finders, but we also have the Gallup kind of five essentials of well-being. What, what, are, what are the overlap or the differences between those? And in, in, in looking at that, that helps us to be able to really kind of nail down what it means to be in a state of health. Well, you know, it seems like the easiest place to start there. It's a great question. And, and I wish I had a tight answer because this is part of where in, in this. So you're not talking about one day doing the Camino Santiago, right? Yeah. So I'm very, I'm very early in in this, in this walk, which is, I mean, questions are exciting because I mean, I hope in three years from now to be able to look at these questions to have them. So for me, the most important thing for me is authenticity. This is you know, a precursor, you know? Am I, to the degree that I'm able to be authentic, am I being authentic and am I being honest and I'm able, you know, to um, to be at peace with myself? There's a place where it begins there, you know, the authenticity. So for, I think for each person, um, just like each one of us has a different calling, it, this path begins at a different place, you know? What's a place in my life that's out of balance, you know? And and so wellness for me is balance, is a balance, is a balance within my given vocation. So it's, it's, it, it, I, I'm not sure there's, there's a clear answer. Well, okay. So, but the question is, is the authentic self then the self that's reaching for the M&Ms in the, the coffee or is the authentic self the one that's actively trying to be healthier and losing weight? <laughs> and the question would be, it depends. It depends. Sure. Let me, let me tell you why. Okay. And I'm sorry. Cause you know, give it to me. Um, and I'm thinking about M&Ms, you know, I could be, Sitting down, having an evangelization experience with somebody at a coffee shop, having a few M&Ms while we're talking. I'm going to the extreme. And you can, and many young women, especially, you know, struggle with uh, with anorexia, you know, you know, trying to lose more weight and trying to go further in that direction could be contrary. So everything that's a strength, everything that's good to the extreme can be unhealthy. So, so the authenticity is finding, you know, and everybody has something to grow in. All of us have an area where we need to become more who we're called to be. It's an ongoing working. So in the faith, we talk about working out salvation, you know, and I don't want to over-spiritualize things. But on the other hand, let's not over-spiritualize things to think that only has to do with with spiritual matters. Right. There's a place where, saying it's a lot of the great saints, I talk about, you know, taking care of the body, you know? I mean, you know, and so, so you know, we have people who had a great hatred for the body, you know, and there's a problem there. But I mean, or, but sometimes I would say they're trying to discipline the body. So disciplining the body, disciplining oneself and having oneself consistent with who we're called to be, it's important. But let's say you're not, you're nowhere there. Okay. So, so Gallup, you know, so Gallup, I like Gallup. Gallup gives us some, uh, as a starting point, five areas that they talk about that are important. Okay. Give so that's me. the general. So, so let, let, let's, let's look at the concrete. So, so that's great. You know, but this is so esoteric. Where do we go? So Gallup talks about uh, career well-being. So let's let's expand it to say vocational well-being. You know, it's it's a 
is at that place where, where am I being called to produce, provide, you know, and, and, and transcend myself? Where am I called to make a difference? Whatever it is, you know, quite frankly, you could be working at a fact, you could be working at a factory in, in line work, but there is a place where your work is very important in terms of the whole machine, in terms of the whole place there. And how do you find meaning in that for the rest of your life? So, so it's, so career is not, is not just in terms of getting your PhD, making your first million uh, or, or whatever you put it that way. But, you know, but Gallup tells us, you know, uh, in terms of ways to boost your career is use your strengths every day. So it might be that you're working on a line at, 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 a, at a car factory, but you're also mentoring young men. And you're also being an example. There's great things you do beyond what you produce. You know, and, and I know I'm connected with Gallup and we'll talk about across the world. Things such as find somebody else in that work who has a similar mission in life to you do. And a similar mission could very well be playing on the um, playing uh, softball, football afterwards. Could be something you share with somebody else. So in that mundane day-to-day, in Spencer the Cotidiano, you know, we say ordinary time. In the ordinary, which we just started ordinary time recently. It's find somebody in that career beyond that who shares something with you where you can transcend yourself and then uh, and find ways even at work to connect with others. So funny enough, Gallup's not just talking about career in terms of making, you know, making salesman of the month. But while you're working, how do you find well-being? How do you take that place where you have to produce and turn a place where you transcend yourself? And what's interesting about transcendence is that well-being in every area that Gallup looked at has to do with connecting with others, has to do with the concept of it's not good for man to be alone. So that's career. You know, ironically, it's not what you would think would be what Gallup found on it. Yeah, I think you, uh, let's stop right there. I mean, I, you're, you're on it. I think so, so often we, we feel this pressure to have a career um, just to make money or, or, or to be the best or somehow the career is what's going to define us. Um, and what you're saying is very different is that, yes, you need to find meaning in work, obviously. Like, even if we look at the spiritually, work existed before the fall, right? Work is a place where we are invited to co-labor with the Lord, to co-create, to share in his creative energy. And so work should be a place of, of renewal. Um, at the same time, though, I think this leads into to one of the, the, at the same time, though, what you're saying is that it can't be done in isolation. It can't just be about ego-driven. It can't just be about your own personal vanity. And if you're seeking work to, for your own ambition, then it's not going to lead towards wellness. Is that right? Well, actually, well, let, let's let, let's look at the fall. Let's look at Genesis, right? So what is so we said the, the curse, and, and you know, and again, I'm not a theologian. I don't think God cursed anybody. You know, it was a consequence. What was what was Adam's consequence of, of the fall? You know, before the fall, he was working in the garden, right? You know, some say he might have, you know, fell asleep on, on his job to protect the garden. Different perspectives on that, you know. But, uh, but you know, and but then when, 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 after, what, what was the consequence afterwards? Yeah. What was the consequence? Um, Sweat yeah. the brow, thorns and thistles, man. That's all you're going to get. You talk to any man. So as a therapist, guys, you know, here's the thing. If you don't know where to go, hit a man where he feels that he is, um, where he feels incompetent, where he feels that he is, um, I'll use the word impotent. You know, but impotent, not just sexually, but impotent, unable to produce. Every fierce man is not being is not being good enough or not having what it takes. You know, you have John Eldridge, people who touch on that. So so in work, the, the question is, 
Uh, and many of the people, your listeners, if I understand the age group, probably experience their parents or or their friends of the par- or parents of the friends lose their job during the crisis of 2000, you know, of 10, 12 years ago. Uh, you know, unemployment for a man is not just about money. It, it's it's it, it is a very can be a very serious crisis. And for women as well. But talking about men, that's most of what I work with. Um, it, it's there's there's a psychological lack of wellness when somebody's unable to work. So we're talking about like like the yacht and the good so-called you good life. I don't think you can have a good life and be and be either unemployed because you can't find a job or unemployed because you don't need to work. There's a place where where work becomes such an essential component of our of our wellness. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, we gotta feel like we're producing something, something more than Thor and Thistles. Yeah, but but then the wellness of what it is, you know. Yeah. And but the wellness then is is finding meaning in that which I do. Yeah. Whether it's directly, whether it's because of what I'm doing. Or because I get to be around other people who are kind of sharing in this um, yeah. in, in this need. So so there's there's a social component of career that's important. And so um, you know, one of, one of, actually funny enough, one of my first job and here you know my first job um, I was supposed to be a diver at a at a at like a marine aquarium place, you know, and I show up at 16 years old, you know, when I try, you know trying to make money to get myself my first car. And it turns out that the insurance uh, did not allow me. So I ended up being a costume character instead, you know, <laughs> this is a very well kept secret, you know, I mean, I, my secret, secret life of secret life of the incoming junior, you know, <laughs> and, and only my closest friends knew about what I, what I was really up to, you know, yeah. uh, did but you this, find meaning in being a, a costume character? Know, here's the thing I did. When I look back, it was probably one of the best jobs I have ever had in my life, you know? Um, and this, these were the days, you know, before the, you know, the air conditioning or the attendant, I mean, it was just me walking around and on occasion having to pop into one of the, into, into, into the gift shops to, you know, this is South Florida, you know, July heat yeah. trying to not pass out, you know, and, and I was able to bring joy to a lot of people yeah. and to the kids, but m- mostly to my coworkers. If I knew somebody was having a hard time, you know, I would go over and cheer them up. You know, and there's something about seeing, you know, even though they knew it was me, there's something about something else. They, they, what they did, what they saw was, was a character. You who, know, who is the character? You just got to describe this now for everybody. You know, we're, we're not going to advertise for my former employer. No, it was a uh, flipper and Lolita. <laughs> there you go. Whale. Yes. So I was, I was actually doing both genders. Now I think about it, you know, <laughs> you so know, progressive. And, and actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But the other thing was because I loved animals, I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist. I was able to work with my employers to where, when they needed coverage with uh, with the dolphins, I'd be able to go over and kind of you know and kind of just uh, you know babysit the dolphins, you know. And it's uh, and I realized dolphins are not always nice either, you know. I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> that's another episode. But, you know, but, but but I found such great meaning out of that job, you know, and it helped me because once you put a character on, you're somebody else, you know. And so it was. It's an example of a job that was supposed to be, or another time, remember my first job before that was delivering subs. Finding, just finding enjoyment in what you do and transcending it helps the day go by faster. Amen. And and, and it's a sense of wellness. So what is then the second component there of the Gallup uh, well-being? So so the second component is going to be surprisingly social well-being. And so with social well-being, uh, you know, what we're talking about, obviously, is is, is, is connecting with others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for many years, I was involved um, with evaluating um, men for 
clerical positions and men and women for, for, for religious positions. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the most important things I would always look at is look at their interpersonal life. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you know, if you look at the old song, you know, I am a rock, I'm, I'm an Island mm-hmm. or, you know, or I'm a self-made man. That's never a good thing. Cause nobody, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. It's very much of a, of a component. So if we're isolated and your listeners are isolated and, and, and suffering, I would say, yeah, you, you, there is a illness there. And, and if you're mourning, feeling lonely, um, you should. And I say that in compassion, non-judgment. Anybody tells you that you shouldn't be, then that's not true because there is a, a deep longing we all have for connection. And, and so, um, you know, what Gallup is recommends, I mean, it's pretty intense. I mean, this is all research-based across the world cultures. Is spending about six hours a day socializing with friends, family, colleagues, in any way it can be. So, I mean, and I don't know, for most people who are working, I mean, you know, you tell me you should exercise 150 minutes a day, I mean, a week. That sounds like a lot. Yeah. But to, to do social exercise yeah. or disciplines, to be connected with people, that's even harder. But it just shows how we were never meant real health. You know, these are recommendations. You know, if you're not spending time with people every day or at least a good amount during a the week, then there's a place where there's illness there. there you're not... You're not, headed, you're not headed towards wellness. And that's, the other part. Well, is, that's part of the danger with our digital age is that we're, because people can work from home. Yeah. Part of the trade-off is the office environment. As much as people, you know, chide it or hate their bosses or whatever, there's something in that though, that when it's healthy, it's, it's, it's a very healthy kind of system. The water cooler, you know, the concept oh, of the water That's what I'm saying. Cooler. The concept of the water yeah. cooler in, in conversations and being able to go out to lunch with people and just seeing people in the hallway and be like, Hey man, what's going on? You doing all right? You know, that that's all lost um, when everybody's kind of working from home. And, and even with the technology as well, I think some of the, the challenges um, with young people today is, is really this notion of FOMO where you, you'd be having a great intimate meal or, or conversation with somebody right now in the, you know, in vivo, but then you turn to the phone and you see five other people are having a great time at a party that, you didn't go to. So there, there's a place where when it comes to social well-being, you have to know yourself and you have to be able to draw those lines to be able to say, okay, they're having a great time, but you know what? So am I. And, and this is enough. And to acknowledge that as, as just part of your own personal health. It's funny you say that. So in my own life, as I look back at my adolescent years, I'm glad you mentioned that, Marcus. You know, one of the things I'm going through now is, is a very deep examination of myself. And it's not not necessarily like a not necessarily a 12 step you know examination per se, but it's not inconsistent. Where um as I a, a, as I drop in the weight, which is the ongoing, which is kind of the ongoing the, the weight's kind of like mile markers in a journey, right? It's you know, it, the weight's not a destination. And as I've been stuck at a particular weight now, which I haven't ever been able to get below. Once I went over, I never been able to get below it. Uh, just looking at my life, and if I looked at social be- well-being in my own, in my own life, I remember having a point where I had some really good friends, but that never being enough, you know, and wanting to connect with another group of friends and other group of friends, and connect and being so socially focused. And one, you know, this is before I cut all that off and went completely into into geek mode, you know. <laughs> oh, well, in reality, when, when the inner geek has always been there, you know. Yeah. But you know, but the thing is. Uh, but in that process, failing to appreciate what I have today, 
failing to appreciate the moment, what you have, being lost for something else. And so when we talk about social well-being, when I evaluate people, I'm looking not just how many friends you have, do you have them, but do you have a good repertoire of, of relationships, some that are intimate, some that are close, some are more distant, some of them are acquaintances. And we need a balance of those. So if I'm sharing my deepest, darkest with everybody around me, there's no intimacy. You know, there's no intimacy. As a matter of fact, there's a bit of an exhibitionism, which is what social media can look like many times, although most of the time it's not being honest. Uh, but there is a place. So so there's a need for these different types of friendships and, and social networks of different types for different things that that I enjoy doing. Um, and but also of ways to developing these, you know, these networks. And what's really important many times, and this is where social media becomes a real problem, is not just seeing or talking to people, but doing things together, especially for especially, I mean, for men and women, actually, in different ways. There's something about guys doing something. So, so playing a sports team, doing having a shared goal, doing something together, that becomes so important to our own well-being. So it's not just being around a lot of people, but it's it's having a shared purpose, having a sense of meaning that 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 balances everything. So Gallup will talk about the importance of, of trying to find a physical activity to do with other people. And again, we have to remember one thing: when when this whole story started, you know, when you know, you know, uh, we were we were migrating people. You know, we were people who had to walk who had to move to get things done. And so there was those relationships of, of traveling together, of journeying together, of hunting together, whatever it is. And so, um, and so, but, but, the, but there's another element that we look at the spiritual about being together. One of the biggest dangers that people have in their own spiritual discernment is isolation or, or shame. So let's talk about it on the negative side because see, positive psychology, let's look about, it's not an absence of, of the negative. There's also shame and isolation that happens that are completely inconsistent with getting healthy. Right. Yeah. I mean, being able to to overcome that shame so that we can connect. And this is where uh, somebody that I've referenced a lot is uh, Brene Brown's work with regards to shame and, and oh, vulnerability. She's oh, she's amazing. And so this is it. You know, we're talking about the second element of social well-being. We're, we're talking about what does it really mean to, to have authentic connection in 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 recognizing what are the things that move us against that? Um so the vulnerability, talk about vulnerability. I, I absolutely believe that her work, and if you ever listen to her TED talk, yeah. talking about that TED, the famous TED talk, she was horrified. I mean, this is a woman who was studying vulnerability and all these things. And then she has really a conversion moment, you know, of incredible grace, you know, where she becomes very vulnerable by herself in front of everybody. And this led, the experience was so violent for her that it led to, to a very deep, Deep concern. And let me be honest, I don't think she was wrong to feel that way because because as we talked a minute, there's there's some very intimate things that she shared with the world, you know. But but in many ways, I I'm so glad she did. <laughs> so something I'm so glad she did. Because I tell my own children, I have five children, you know, which are good friends with your kids whenever we get to see each other. But I tell my children, if you're not vulnerable, you cannot make friends. Unless people can see your need. There's no way they can collaborate with it, can, can, can love you. How can you be loved on if you don't show what you need? So vulnerability is part of that struggle with being connected with people. I mean, and, and it's risky. So, and I think vulnerability is such a key component. As, as you know, I know you've done work with, with the clergy and I'm be teaching deacons probably next year again. I begin with, with the vulnerability, you know, if, if, if the clergy, if a clergy person is, cannot be vulnerable appropriately, 
then then there's this then there's this facade, you know, which is this perspective that we've had. Now the vulnerability has to be in good judgment of who you use it with. But if, if Father so and so is perfect, you know, in the image of God, and there's no humanity to them, um, you know, we we know we know what happens there. So it doesn't mean you're vulnerable with everybody, but but even they have to have vulnerability. And and if you do counseling or coaching, especially with coaching, you have to be vulnerable in taking a risk with the person, asking questions, giving sometimes going to places that that are scary or or sharing of your own experience with somebody, you know, in the hope that if you see my own experience, it'll be helpful to you. Something we never do in counseling, but in coaching, it's it's, it's part of the, what you do with somebody because, because you're, you're co-journing, you're accompanying somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I think that's obviously the power of Brene Brown's message and, and any role speaker being able to share appropriately uh, with a group of group of people. Let's keep going with this, these sure. definitions. Absolutely. So what's so the third? Financial, financial well-being. Yeah. That's okay. the third, the third of the, the Gallup's kind of measures of, of well-being. Right. Yeah, and and, and I'm I'm trying to be pragmatic. I'm hitting more some of the recommendations. Mm-hmm. So so financial well being is going to look different for different people in your in your circumstances to begin with. Well, what right? I read I read this recently that people don't really desire financial wealth; they desire financial security. And and there's a difference between the two. I've, I've also heard this put another way, which is um, when it comes to kind of studies of happiness and what connection happiness has to income. It's like when you when you get your your basic needs met so somewhere i think the number for today's day and age is like 75,000 right the below 70 that's like the threshold below that there's a large you know um correlation between being unhappy but above that the measures kind of fall off in the sense that like when you're above getting your needs met when you're beyond having that financial security you aren't exponentially happier just because you're more richer and the way i like to think of it is is this way there's a difference between there's a larger difference between not having a car and having a car than there is between having a Honda and having a Lexus, right? The difference in, 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 in the way that you feel is significant between not having a car or having a car versus having a car or having a luxury car, right? Absolutely. So, so the thing is, so they, they, they've done re, the research, research has been done and it's, you know, it's fairly obvious, but I'm glad that, you know, we, we need numbers in the, in the West to be able to prove what we already know. <laughs> you know, if, you know, be, you know, countries with more resources have healthier people. If you can't have clean water, food, uh, basic things for life, shelter, then it's very hard to have well-being. So in many ways, well-being does to some degree have a physical connection. If you see that across the board in recommendations. The physical connection at every level, you know, so there is that physical health that, that we have to look at. But, but, you know, but beyond that, there is a lot of studies and they, they'll show how there is a point where, um, where when you go over a particular income threshold, more money does not equal more happiness. And that's, you know, and as a matter of fact, um, money can lead, you know, even if it's not dead, it can, can lead us into that compulsive behavior, which is shopping. You know, people call it shopping therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Retail therapy. Retail therapy. That's right. You know, I've, I've actually had somebody one time talk who's, who's going to financial thing to kids, you know, make comics. I thought it was interesting. And I can't. So I said, you know, what, what I like to do is I like to go shopping. I put everything in the cart. And when I'm done with it, I just erase it. So I'm not spending the money, which is a step closer than spending it 
but it's still not addressing the underlying need to get stuff as a way to make me feel better, right? And and it's interesting because if you talk about this basic talking about Adam and Eve beforehand, uh, let's look at the kind of stuff like what kind of stuff gets marketed to guys? Uh, Cars, beer, beer, trucks, cars, yeah. stuff make me feel like a man. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, whether it's uh, tools, you know, tools, mm-hmm. sex, yeah, right, or, or or sex images, right, sex symbols, ways of me getting out there. And, you know, and getting over that underlying insecurity I have. And for women, what's the most often the um, the marketing for? Although, although it's crossing over, by the way. You know, the crossover now is in both ways. But traditionally for women, what, what, what it used to be? Uh, beauty, cosmetics. Right. There, right. I would say there's a split. There's, And you can always tell by the shows that you watch. You know, if you watch a Monday Night Football, the commercials are all beer and truck commercials. You watch, uh, you know, something like... Uh, Ellen daytime or whatever that has a large female viewership and you'll get a mix of, um, beauty or, or cosmetics, um, skin stuff, or even cleaning supplies. You know, it's still these, these advertisers are still targeting women the same way and targeting men the same way. And the thing is they're doing it cause it works, right? You know, uh-huh. if you, so many times I hate to say it's, if you don't study good psychology, study business marketing, cause you know, cause, cause they, they're, they're all numbers based, you know, because it works, right? So, but the problem is, is that you're you're hitting at wounds with stuff that's only going to leave it bigger. Because having a lot of stuff doesn't make anybody feel any happier. It's funny you talk about buying a car. I went through a similar experience. You know, I was looking at, at a at, at one particularly. Fortunately, this dealership had the two different cars that they had two different dealerships. I was looking at you know at a European vehicle, and then I went over, walked over to the to the Japanese side of it, which is not really Japanese anymore. And I realized that what I needed was not what I, what I wanted is not what I needed. Yeah. And for about half the amount of money, I could actually get a lot more bang by getting something that was not going to give me a status symbol, you know? Yeah. No, this is an insight that that came to me recently and I'll I'll share this now is um, in in a previous episode of the podcast, I interviewed um, Dr. Jennifer Miller on Catholic feminism and, and she used the term for, for women in the Old Testament, there in Genesis, we talked about that earlier, that she said that the word that was used was savior. So not even helpmate. Helpmate wasn't, isn't suffice of a term, savior. And kind of in our conversation, we kind of came to something that made me think that salvation then is, is the thing that makes up what we lack, right? That's that we, tur- we turn to something to make up what we lack. And so Jesus, obviously, is the great savior of the world. But when we look at that same term, in light of this, you say that these advertisers are there because they're creating a need and the need is specific to the market. So women have certain needs that are different than men. And so these these products are meant in some way to, quote unquote, save people, <laughs> which is, you know, delusional, obviously. But but we buy into it because we think then that these products, these devices, whatever it is, are going to be the things that are going to satisfy or that are going to save me. Um, and fulfill this need when in reality they're not going to. So, so here, so, so if you want to go through therapy, okay, you know, for this and something that actually funny enough, it's happening in my house right now. You know, um, we brought in a good friend of ours who, um, her calling is to help people declutter. You know, we're looking at, you know, we have, there's seven of us in our house and we're possibly discerning, maybe doing an addition or moving right now. Um, but the first thing to do is go through it. And so we're going through the house and I, and part of my own wellness thing has been, I've set up a home gym in my garage. So part of it That's is uh, having to, and it's, 
And when you're in such an extreme situation as, as mine has been, you know, where you're over, where you start off over 200 pounds where you need to be, uh, it, the measures have to be a little more extreme than usual. So I know that, and it's interesting is, as an aside, my four out of my five children have actually, you know, catched the, you know, caught the bug now. So that becomes our social, so, you know, <laughs> it's our little social area at home. But, um, but, but, but the key thing here has been, we have in the garage, I had a whole closet full of tools, you know, a sander, um, you name it. Okay. We, we went through it. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like my, you know, my, and I think I have five times each screwdriver that I may ever need. They need to declutter. They need to. And, and as we started going through, I started reducing redu- until I finally looked at it. I had to ask myself a really hard question. When's the last time I used this? And if I'm trying to find balance in my life with where God's leading me to, when's the next time I'm going to use this? And I had to make a very hard decision. I ended up really donating almost everything in there. Because the reality is being handy with my hands doing work like that, it's needed for the image of me being a man, but totally inconsistent to what God's called me to do right now. So that was a very hard realizing that I bought all these things applying retail therapy, you know, you know, when in reality, the kind of stuff that I would do, I mean, my house needs to be redone and I'm not gonna be the guy to do it. Okay. (laughs) That's for sure. I mean, I, I I like my limbs, you know, I like to keep my limbs among other things, you know, realize that I, I, I will need to, you know, to realize that God gives all of us different talents. I'm gonna have to find somebody who knows how to do those things. And in reality is if I ever need to get a sander, I'm better off blessing somebody and give them the work to help me with that part or bring it over or go, or go to the horror store and rent it versus needed to have it. So that was a place of freedom for me. It, it's, it's painful to see how much money I spent on these things, but a freedom saying I'm no, no longer going to allow a false identity to define me. Hmm. If that makes sense. Mario's thinking, Mario's thinking, dude, you could have just sent it to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the same boat. That's hilarious. No, I'm in the same boat. I don't, uh, I, I have long accepted that kind of handiwork is not my gift. And, uh, and as much as I would love to give the time and the energy to it, it's always a chore. Like cutting the grass, it's always a chore. I mean, I'm happy when it's done, but it's just not something that I invest my energy in. Um, so if I have to redo the floor or something, I probably will bring my grant, my, my, my father-in-law in who's really handy and we'll, we'll, we'll do it together. That'd be a great opportunity to share that with my boys. But you just said it right now, but it's we'll not do it something, together, right? but it's not something that I'll, I'll go out and tackle on my own. But listen to what you said right now. We'll do it together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that weakness of yours or, or not weakness, let's say weakness, you know, the, no, that, it's that, the right that, word, the limitation. And that's the, the gift of limitation. That you have, it, yeah. it invites community. And I think that's the key. It, yes. That's the key for people and, to and, recognize and, that is that it invites community. One more thing to that. So one more thing that not only does it invite community, but there is, um, it's a place for someone to bless you. Yeah. You know, those places. And so it's a limitation, a weakness I have in a weakness, you know, weak, no man wants to be weak. Right. But in reality, it's, it's an invitation for community. So those weeks are an invitation. If, because the time that I would waste trying to do this on my own or learning how to do these things, is time when I'm not using the gifts that God has given me right. appropriately. Well, I think going back to this, is this point with financial well-being then. I mean, sometimes the confusion is that if I have financial wealth, I can become that self-made man and therefore I don't need anybody anymore. I don't need community to provide or I could just pay things off or do whatever I want because I have this freedom. Now, again, listen, 
I want people to have financial freedom, financial peace. I'm a big believer in Dave Ramsey getting out of debt and being yes. able to be in charge of your own life. And at the same time, like there's a point where um, it, it's only going to go so far, you know? And I think that's the key when it comes to what, 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 what our discussion is about well-being. What are the elements of well-being? Well, this is just one element of, of a larger puzzle of what it means to be a healthy person. So what I heard you say in that statement is perfect is if I have enough money, I'll never have to be vulnerable again. But that's, I think, the American dream, isn't it? It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, that's not what I'm pursuing, certainly. But I know that that's what the that's what the message is that's out there is is because it does put us in a state of vulnerability where we're not making enough money, where we're a little worried about making ends meet, where we have to worry about bills that come up unexpectedly. I mean. There's truth in that. And we want to prepare for those. Absolutely. Um, and at the same time, recognizing that, that God's going to bless us and God's going to work in all of it. So there's a, so it's beautiful. There's a balance there. And yes. And you hit it, which is great. Nobody's pontificating. If you don't have enough money to pay your bills, nobody's pontificating that that's a state that anybody wants to be in. Okay. Of course. There's, there's two elements. The question is, why are you in the situation? Is, you know, what is the fear of cutting back your expenses? You know, what are you really going to lose? That's what, that's part of it. But part of it is there is issues, oh, there's issues of social justice. There's an issue of inequity. Absolutely. It may be that you're absolutely not getting paid what you deserve. And, and essentially you're being robbed of part of your income by, by not being paid correctly. I mean, and that's wrong, you know, so this is not saying be content with the way things are and suck it. You know, you know, it's like, you know, like, like my kids say, dad, I don't want to hear again. Suck it up, buttercup, you know, <laughs> just sometimes when I tell my kids, sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, welcome to reality, you know, yeah, um, yeah. with some things, you know, it's like, uh, but, 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 but in that, but there's a second element there. And that's the element of allowing money to become the object, money to become the salvation, money to be that, which is going to give me that I don't have when, you know, and the scripture go with that, where that in itself cannot be. So, so what Gallup says, again, they talk about the recommendations. And again, this is just reading the recommendations here is that, you know, the things that, that we, that they recommend. The first thing is, of course, is, well, I'm going to go backwards, is do have a system where you're able to pay for things and you keep in track of, you know, you, you, you are being a good steward. You're keeping track of what's coming in, what's coming out. Uh, you're not wasting things. Okay. Even think about a refrigerator, right? You know, keep a keep a system so you're not throwing away food because it's because it's because it's spoiled. It's simple as that. I mean, you know, but also your finances. But there's two other things, um, and this is across the board. And it's fascinating: is buy experiences versus things. So they talk about vacations and outings with friends and loved ones. So get memories, do things that are going to be memorable to you. And sometimes we we have to sacrifice in our family we will, we will we will cut back in other areas so we can take vacations and so take a time if you have a thousand dollars you get the the tax return what gallup is saying in terms of what will help you with your overall well-being is to put that money towards a shared experience with your family rather than buying the fancy new television yeah, and it doesn't have to be exotic you know you know the question you know, it doesn't have to be exotic so mm. So if you know, let's jump on a second. We we'll talk also. I think it's letter families. No, no, it's um, not letter families in um, Familiares Consortium. But the, the importance of children being brought up in a moderate austerity. So they so they always recognize that people are more important than things. Amen. Let's so so that, that that's that's what that connects. But the other part is 
also spend money on others. You know, bless others if you do have extra. And maybe you don't have extra. Find ways so that that what you have is a way of spreading. And, and, and so really, truly happy people are givers. And so and, and so and, and, that, and connecting with everything you said, and it's something that came to mind. It's something that really, I'd say triggered me sometimes, even with working with people, you know, I have to be aware of is when people say, well, I deserve this, you know, is, is a constant marketing thing. Well, you deserve this. You deserve that. You deserve to have a princess wedding. Well, really? I mean, so you're giving up because you could say it's an experience, right? But it's, a, but it's not an experience. It's a fantasy. And which you might be exchanging for being able to have uh, money to, to put a down payment on rent. Right. You know, so part of it is so, you know, or but 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 in that, how do you spend your money? And, and in reality, there's, there's an element of reality of recognizing the gift of the moment. So many times we can postpone something I do with somebody. And I've experienced this. I mean, I've lost both my parents now and I've lost most older family members who are close. They're all gone for different reasons is there's times when I made decisions that we'll do it next year. The next year, the health didn't come. So there's some is enjoying the moment, enjoying who you have, what you have at this moment with the person you have. So I think that's also very part of my experiences. Amen. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sacasa taking one more quick break in my conversation with Dr. Carlos Gomez to remind you to find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. Got a lot of good goodies there for you, reflections on movies, prayer requests, and other sort of insights that I see as I'm doing research on this topic of hope. It's been a great journey social uh, on social media and being able to dialogue with you on those platforms. So please, I look forward to, to hearing from you and seeing you there. All right, well, let's keep going. Fun. Okay. Fourth, fourth element here. Ah, we've been, we've been, we've been, we've been hitting this one throughout the whole episode, but give it to me. Physical well-being, right? So, 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 Mario, for you, what, what is so? And we talk about physical well-being. Something to keep in mind is this, okay? So I'll share my story here. You go, can Please. I talk here? Yeah. yeah, do it. No, 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 do it. So for Cheer me, it. it's my show. What am I asking you for? <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> well, see, that's friendship. Why? Because. I, because we're, we're friends, friends. I know. I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Um, so your journey has been to to lose weight, um, which has been beautiful. My journey has been to to check a list, a, a bucket list item that I have, which is I want to run a marathon before I turn 40. 40 comes July of 2020, so I'm about to turn 39 here in a few weeks, um, and I want to uh, run a marathon before I. Um, before I turn 40. It's always been a, a list item of mine. So I've, I've, I've started investing in appropriate equipment and um, the, the things that I need to be able to make that happen while also being serious about carving time out and, and starting to get the mileage kind of, I'm in the pre-training phase before I go into the training. Um, why is that important yeah, for but me? Yeah, that well, training is, phase is coming soon, isn't it? Because your marathon is when? February. Yeah. So the half will be in, in November. And then, uh, so it's September is really when I need to kind of get started here. So the, the, the question is, why is that important? Well, for me, similarly, I was coming out of a place of dysfunction where I was overworked and um, uh, in 
in, in, and really in many ways, if I can say this now, I think I can claim this burnt out, you know, compassion fatigue, burnt out as a therapist, really kind of experiencing that, um, working, being overworked and feeling quite miserable and, and not realizing how miserable I felt, um, until after, until I started making some real changes to my life. And so once I started making those real changes, which included balance and work, uh, things like the podcast to have creative energies outlets, um, which have been a real blessing to me. Um, has also been kind of just my physical well-being, going to the gym more, being more dedicated with with running, with with working out, just so I can feel healthier. Um, a real marker for me was when I ran my first 10K back in April. Crossing that and, and doing that um, was kind of like a, you talk about mile markers and here, you know, we're talking literally mile markers, um, but it was really kind of like those, the checklist where I was like, man, like I, I, I did something that I know I couldn't have done a year ago. And the reason I couldn't have done it a year ago is because I was in a place of such dysfunction and illness that there's no way I could have taken care of myself to the degree that I'm doing right now. And so it wasn't just about running the 10K for the sake of it. It was really about crossing the finish line and, and saying, okay, I'm, I'm beginning to turn the corner and beginning to understand what it means to be a flourishing Mario Sacasa, beginning to understand what wellness looks like for me in making real, um, real changes, real strategy towards uh, hitting that vision. So physical well, you, well-being was a big piece of this for me. Well, you were a, you were a high school athlete, right? I was, yeah, a captain of the cross country team. I, I varsity in cross country. I didn't varsity in track, but I have, you know, this isn't big deal, whatever. But my last race as a, as a track and field athlete, I ran a four fifty nine, um, which breaking five was huge for me at, in high school. Um, and I've never been able to do it since, and I'm not even anywhere close to that now, but that's okay. I did it once and, and, and it's there. So, so yeah, no running, running has always been a part of my identity. Athletics has always been part of who I am as a person. So part of being a friend is embarrassing your friends, you know? So, um, I can edit whatever because this is my probably show. Get to me out, you know, which is just, so I'll, I'll write my remarks, you know, and like Father McKenzie, and nobody will, nobody will read them, but that's okay. <laughs> Father McKenzie's a Beatles song for those people who are, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Mario, you know, uh, Mario didn't just run it, he killed it, you know, <laughs> so, uh, he really, you know, he maybe not a high school, you know, speed, but. You know, people who are just beginning to run again, you know, you know, and so, and I mentioned that you killed it because there's an element of finding who you are. So, and, and part of the physical thing, and I wanted to segment because there's a genetic component. So as people think about physical well-being, the goal is not to run as fast as Dr. Mario, you know, at least I'm telling myself that because I'll never be able to run as fast <laughs> as Dr. Mario. But, uh, you know, but, uh, but the thing is that uh, beyond that, it, it's just, it's again, recognize our strengths. So if you do have this, strength in the physical area likely is that your body's asking for it. So sometimes some of the biggest strategies you have, especially about some obese people, is people whose genetics was made for for being athletic. And, and if people are listening to this, if you were an athlete in high school and you've quote unquote lost that, um, you didn't lose that. You lost yourself. And according to what your health allows, obviously get medical advice everything else, there's probably a place where you need to refine that as part of a part of your wellness. Um, and so for me in this area, before we talk about the gal recommendations, uh, this past week, so one of the, it's funny, we're sharing this running part of it. I never in my life did much running, although I remember now in middle school, I actually had a running record for the school. I forgot, I had forgotten about that. You know, some of the things you forget, you know, but, uh, 
but one of the things, um, it's a small school. So I mean, I, you know, but I mean, but one of the things that, that has been running has been part of my journey and it's, um, you know, so, uh, I going from being unable to walk in November, I did do a, I did finish or just finished, uh, a half marathon. Actually, we finished a, we did a 5k, uh, on a Friday, 10k on Saturday and a half marathon on Sunday. This was incredible grace how this worked out. I would not recommend it to anybody but myself. I mean, I did do a lot of training, but not nearly enough. So now I am training to do a 10K and a half in November as well. We'll be doing a, uh, a half um, on November 3rd, I think it is, with, with my daughter. Um, but um, this week, you know, this last week has been hard to stay motivated. So what I've done is um, I, I literally rolled the TV into where I have my exercise equipment and watch watching shows of, uh, of you know, of one of these weight loss shows. Now, recognizing that that weight loss they do in these shows is unhealthy. I'm still watching it because you see people who do this extreme weight loss and you see and you watch their journey and, and their struggle. But you see that it's possible. It is possible. You know, maybe not at, in that extreme at that speed. For some people, it might be. But just because one says it's not, maybe it is for you, you know. Um, and so there's a need in physical well-being. One thing I've – why I think I will be successful – and I've been successful. I mean, I'm in a place now where uh, I've had a physician tell me, you know, you're good for now. You're in a great place. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm already over 100 pounds, my, my highest point. But, um, but, but, you know, and I may never drop the other 100. I mean, you know, you know it's, uh, it's, we're going to go through it. But, um, but beyond that, there, there's an awareness that it, it is a, whatever journey we're on to wellness, it's going to be a, there's going to be pain involved, you know, it, there's going to be struggle involved and connecting, having accountability, having somebody, this is the place. A lot of times lack of physical well-being, it comes with us with isolation. So we already talked a couple of times and this one's about what it's needed in terms of being connected. But, but Gallup will say, you know, Gallup's recommending of getting at least 20 minutes of physical activity each day. And ideally in the morning to improve your mood throughout the day. So ex more ex exercise in the morning, uh, there's a lot of physiological benefits to it. Uh, one thing we know is it raises your heart rate for the rest of the day. It gets you in a, in a, in a you know, overall better mood. But also uh, there's just a lot of benefits in doing exercise in the morning. And so the recommendation that you, again, check your physician, you know, um, but, you know, recommendation is uh, for the average person, 150 minutes of, of, of moderate intensity activity. If you're out of shape. A week, right? That's not. Week, right. A week. week. Yeah. If you're out of shape, walking for 20, 30 minutes is going to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, moderate intensity has to do with your heart rate, which is way beyond what we can talk about here. I have somebody, can, I have people I can recommend you for, for to talk about that. But, uh, but I mean, just walking, just a morning walk, walking your dog. For if you're out of shape, that will probably it's probably going to get the heart rate at that zone to start off with. Okay, um, if you're obese, out of shape, the, the recommendation is really by the but it's really 300. You know, if, you, if you're obese, in this 300 minutes, uh, it sounds like a lot, but again, you start with walking the block. You know, it's 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 it that's the goal. But getting there can be walking five minutes every day. You know, so you may the first week you may only and there's a lot of programs online, a lot of places you can look at, but that kind of information. You no. Know? The second thing that we forget about is sleep, is getting enough sleep. And there's a lot of things about sleep hygiene, uh, but most if you're on your cell phone before going to bed, you're guaranteed to not be getting good sleep. There's a lot of things that we can do to make so if you're not sleep, if you, you know, and sleep is not 
sleep is so essential because sleep, you're not just resting your body, you're renewing your mind, you're rebalancing your hormones. There's so much that goes on during sleep that if you're not sleeping well, it's almost impossible to have well-being. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, you know, it's, uh, if, you know, if, if you talk about investments, if, you, if your bed is really bad, if you're living at half the way you're supposed to be living, that your bed is, you spend more time in your bed than anywhere else, any, any other one spot. Mm-hmm. So that's why a mattress is very important. You know, again, it doesn't mean you have, to go, you don't have to go crazy and buy that, whether everything, uh, you know, with the advertising, you know, I mean, you, can, you, you can be sold a Rolls Royce mattress that will cost about half, half of what a car costs. Right. That's not the point. The point is fine. It's, it's asleep. And then the third, you know, the third thing is going to be, um, you know, it's how we eat. And so um, there's, you know, and, and, and so what I have not done in the, when I talk about not taking extreme measures, I have not done keto. I have not done Atkins. I haven't done South Beach. I go through the whole list of things that I haven't done. Now, granted, what works for me may not work for somebody else. Again, genetics is crucial here. But what I have adopted is the Mediterranean diet, which, funny enough, is not really a diet. It's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, it's very close to what I'm talking about here. It requires going doing social walks together, eating, uh, you know, it's, it's increasing your healthy fats cutting out all the refined foods. And that has made a very big difference for me. So, so is looking at that and, and you can, and so, and so, and part of eating well has to do with economics, right? Because eating very, eating quote unquote, very healthy is very, very expensive, mm-hmm. but you don't have to eat very expensive to eat healthy. Right. And that's, and that's, again, that's, a, that you can bring a nutritionist, you know, that's, no, a that's whole, great. So, it's great. So, you know, and so that's, so that's, and for me has been, so I have had to spend a lot of time cleaning my mind because in this process, uh, in my own, but in my own well-being, and Mario, you know, this, we chat, we talked about this. Um, there's a point where I hit now, I think I'm finally about to break this, where I've been in a plateau for about two months. I have not been able to break through it, but this has been kind of that stop to really work on a lot of other things in my life because it's the body and the spirit are so connected in the psychology. It's, it's all one. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no separation. As I clean off some of the other things, I realize I have to be patient in this and, and things will, 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 you know, will, will get moving again. But, um, but what's, but really what's crucial to look at, at this is that, you know, I could, you know, I can work out 10 hours a day and then I'm just going to burn out and not solve anything. So compulsive exercising, which is a problem, especially with bulimia. There's a component of, 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 of bulimia where the person may not purge. They just exercise all the time to try to burn calories. That in itself is not healthy. So the exercise is in balance with every other part of your life. Now, again, in my case, I am doing two-a-day workouts right now, which are brutal. Today's my day of rest, and I am beat, okay? But, you know, so for me, I'm having to do a lot more than usual because I'm having to rebalance this part of my life that's out of balance. Right. You know, as we kind of approach this this fifth element here, I just want to sit, take a moment to to really hit on something that you said, which is we're in, in an interconnected machine. I mean, and that's not the right word. I know we're not a machine, but our system, our human system, our body is so interconnected, and there's vast elements here that that you pull on one, you're going to pull on the other. And so, when we talk about your physical well being, and you really start making efforts towards losing weight or getting fit or getting healthy, well, be prepared for every negative thought that you've ever had in your life. 
to come up. We talked about that shame earlier, which is why then balancing that with good social networks so that you can have people to encourage you and to remind you um, of, of your strengths and your goodness so that as you're making real changes in your life, whether it's financial or career-wise or, or friendship-wise or you know, health-wise, that you're trying to do it all in the context of who you are and, and staying open to the people that are around you. Because any, any, the, the body, for good or for ill, we desire equilibrium. This is something that I learned, you know, in family systems therapy early on was that whether it's dysfunction or function, the system, the system operates at the status quo. And so whatever your status quo is, when you start making change, be ready for the system to push back. Even when that changes for health, the system is going to push back against you. So let's move into then just this fifth element then of community. Right. So, so, the, so community well-being, right? So community well-being, you know, be, you know, be, be, being, you know, being the, the fifth element, right? Um, you know, it's funny, you know, it Gallup talks about community well-being, you know, is not the first thing that we think about. And I'm literally, fairness, looking directly at, at Gallup information. You know, and I love this quote they have in there. I'm actually I'm gonna read the direct quote. Community well-being isn't the first thing people think about when they evaluate their overall well-being. But this element can actually be the, dif- the differentiator between a good life and a great life. Mm-hmm. A great one. What does so, that mean? Keep going. Well, sure, sure. So, so when we talk when we talk about community, um, there's all these things are interconnected, right? So we're looking at dimensions of something that's really one and the same. So it's very hard. So, so part of the community well-being, according to what they're talking about, is that you do need those basic things. You need, you know, you need to have the base your basic life needs. So Maslow would talk about, you know, Maslow talk about different needs. Mm-hmm. So to hit community well-being the way Gallup's talking about it, is you have to have those basic needs, you know, taken care of, like you know, food. Shelter, security, you know, um, a place where you are feeling esteemed. You have you have that you know you have that social that, that social well being. Uh, but when we talk about community well being, they're talking really about the giving of self to others, the gift of self. And there's a gift of self involved in social. But the way I understand, and again, this is my interpretation of Gallup. This is I'm not not a Gallup expert. I'm telling you what it, what I've read in and what it, difference it's made in my life in looking at this. It's how do I then kind of what I'm hoping to do even do here? How do I take this experience of mine and try to make it useful and helpful to somebody else? And so it has so it really has to do with with, you know, with find that place where you're called to to give other people. And so, you know, they even talk things such as, you know, giving blood, you know, but by when finding ways where I can contribute to somebody else based on my own mission. This is beautiful. Identify how you can contribute to the community based on your personal mission. So it is the well-being here is once I understand who I am. So, so we you know we talk about professionally what I want to do, what I'm doing. Um, when I looked at my tools, giving that to somebody or a place I can use them was a contribution for for community. It's not just getting rid of it, but passing that on to somebody else because it's not part of my personal mission. My personal mission is not fixed, is not, you know, granted, I mean, I have a hammer, I have nails, basically things I can do, but, but putting together a closet, you know, or, or repairing uh, the siding or whatever it is, that, that's just beyond my personal skill level, you know. Um, but then finding how can I give people something. The second one that's interesting is tell people about your passion and interest so they can connect you with the relevant groups or causes. So find what you're passionate about and find ways. So it's not just give because I feel guilty, but find 
in what I'm called to do. How can I gift this has been given to me to somebody else? How can I create change? You know, talk about, you know, we change the world one person at a time. You know, we just finished seeing with the kids, the movie, um, uh, was it, uh, Evan, Evan Almighty. Oh, <laughs> I didn't watch it. it. It's a silly movie, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but, but the basic message was great. You know, you know, it was, we changed the world. We know one good deed at a time, one good act at a time. So the way that, that, that we change the world, it's going to be unique to us, but it's when we have that sense that I can go beyond me, you know, and, and to join a group, join somebody bigger than myself, something bigger than myself and see, and, and to, for me, this ups into a much more important part for us Catholics, you know? So a lot of the scientific stuff that we read that you and I've been reading on, on post psychology, you know, we're discussing about hope um, because it's scientific and it has its right place. You know, it's kind of in, in um, when the train seminarians talk a lot about philosophy, you know, or, or, or that before you move into spirituality, we have the sense of seeing something bigger. And and for me, the beyond part of well-being that's not in Gallup, and it's very important to me, is it, the transcendent. And it, but now it's Gallup says that it's infused in all of it, and it is. But I like to point it out specifically. So this is where, and I'm thinking a lot about it, and that's transcendence, transcendent well-being. Forgive it a name, you know, a working label. And I see two things there. I see one, which is spirituality, you know, transcending with God, transcending with others, you know, in that sense that. But there's also one that's not here. And I think, and I don't know what name to give other than artistic or beauty well-being. Mm. Being able to find that which makes us unique as human beings. You know, that gives us meaning, gives us beauty. You know, it gives us more aesthetics. I know, I know there's something that you, that, that, that's important to you, Mario, as well. But it's, uh, yes. you know, I love, I love theater. And as a Catholic, if you go to see it on, and we've had the blessing where we've taken experience, we've gone up to New York a couple of times and seen Broadway shows, you know, my kids perform and all this. And so there, and there's a place where, um, you know, and there's, there's a Catholic, um, professional actor who's been very influential. My kids via online homeschool classes, um, you know, and, but, but one of the things that has been important is that there, there is a place where I find God in so many of these stories or movies. I know you love movies. You know, the, the, these movies, things have object, many times morally objectionable content, but if you look at the bigger thing, they're connecting to something that's undeniably our spirituality, our transcendence, you know? And, and, and so being able to express oneself artistically or if not express or see it, now different people, not granted, you know, in psychology would say, yeah, they are more artistic people who are more hands-on, but even hands-on, you know, the, for the craftsman, I mean, that's art. Good it's grief. I mean, listen, you know, you know, like somebody said, how do you recognize art? If I can't do it, it's art. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> you know, I can't do it. It I must can't. be art. <laughs> but, you know, there's things that you, there's things that, you know, and come kids are artists, you know, I tell my kids, you know, what makes you an artist to understand is, is not to be the, for example, Jesse Mueller is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, it's an actor. She's incredible, you know, is to find your voice. And, or your perspective, you know, and artistic is going to be quirky sometimes. Like, cause you see, you know, take that way you see the world and realize that it's beautiful and important and try to find a way to help others try to approximate what you see. Well, let me bring this back then to, to community. I think everything you say is beautiful in terms of these other elements of well-being that the Gallup does not talk about transcendent, a spiritual well-being and an artistic well-being. Those are, those are spectacular. But one piece I want to talk about with the community piece, just bringing that right back there 
is, you know, you talk about the gift of self in, in a certain sense of activism, which is healthy and involvement in our community. But I think also just when we're talking about well-being, when our communities are not healthy, we experience an illness in that. So, for example, if we can talk about ourselves as Catholics over the last year, it's no secret to anybody that the church has gone through a, a massive scandal, that there's an element of, of community well-being that we desire to make some change or just even that even before then, we all hurt. In, in, in the hurt, the communal hurt that we experience is, is okay. It's okay to acknowledge that. Like It just doesn't seem like that the church is healthy right now, and we all experience the effects of that. Uh, living here in New Orleans, we had some flooding here recently. When the community is, is underwater, literally, everybody experiences that. So there is an element of us giving to our community and trying to make things better. But at the same time, we also feel uh, the health or the illness of the communities that we're in because we're not isolated. We're not these islands. Um, I'm making much easier than that. I, if somebody in my community has malaria... I want the malaria treated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they're talking purely, purely hedonistic, okay? Purely self-serving. Right. So there's an element of health that is communal. There's no way that we can avoid it. So, uh, and to some degree, yeah, coming from having had to at one point flee the country, you know, I'm an immigrant here because of because 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 of safety because of safety issues. Uh, and a lot of it, in all honesty, was warranted. You know, when when people are mistreated long enough, they're going to rise up, right? And that's a beautiful thing about theater. I mean, that's what I love about theater. You know, and I love about, um, you know, many times artists, you know, when politically the, people can't express themselves, artists always find a way to, to express themselves, you know? I, w- I wish there would be more balance in how they express themselves. They usually express themselves to the extreme, you know? I wish, you know, uh, <laughs> that's not the way it was. But 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 with, but with that being said, you know, there's there is truth that, if my community is not healthy, I can only be so healthy, you know. Um, and so, and also, even in, in my own life, raising my children, I want to I want to raise them to be givers, to be understanding that they have to give of themselves. That our family is essential, and I'll protect my family over anything. I mean, there's no question about it. But the place that we have to find that our meaning is not just self-referential in us. And so, the community, the community well-being, um, you know, and with happiness, you know, we see that, um, you know, but depression. Talk about people who are depressed. Uh, in depression, many times part, the biggest problem is the person becomes so self-focused that they are unable to find joy again. So when I when I did my I did a fellowship in clinical health psychology, we worked uh, in a in a you know, inner city, um, you know, fairly. I'm laughing because I remember you know it's a you know fairly dangerous area you know, um, and we were trying to help woman with, with depression and we develop behavioral activation and we work with them. It was very simple. We're just helping them find things they've enjoyed to do in the past with other people and do it again. And our group was very successful and not very successful because uh, we had a lot of attrition. So we called it like, you know, you, you didn't come to group. Oh yeah. Well, I'm working <laughs> or yeah, I'm doing something better hanging out with you depressed people. <laughs> so, so in some ways that's one of the marking areas like, you know, is like work stuff out of a job. So our group kept on, kept on losing people, but a lot of people who we would lose in our, in our, um, in our group ended up actually being lost because they were reconnecting. So we were able to fight the isolation, you know, that connecting. And so the, the, the homework was find an activity. What we did was such simple intervention, find an activity that you enjoy that doesn't cost, that doesn't cost money, 
to do by yourself and find one to do with others and practice it, practice both twice this week. Come back and report. And it made such a difference in people's lives. And it's so simple. It's so pragmatic. Yeah, it's so simple. So pragmatic and so simple because, um, you know, granted, these were people who, you know, they were screened to not have other much more serious issues. So don't think for a second I'm saying if someone's depressed, if they would just do something they enjoy twice a week. This was a, a particular group that we that we found that had a good chance of, of responding. But for those people, it made a huge difference. So many times, if I'm so self-focused on what's wrong with me or what's wrong with my life or do what some people call the you know, first world problems, right? So ticked off that my iPhone apps are not working correctly today. If I become so self-focused, then it is impossible to be happy. Yeah. And that's a concern I have with teenagers. Talk about, you know, you know, fear of missing out. You know, it's uh, the reality is many times these pictures that get sent out, people there, are, you know, if they were having such a good time, they wouldn't be sending pictures. Right. They, they wouldn't be doing poses and taking it. But there's such a need of showing everybody else who might be having a better time that we're also having a good time. So but there's an awareness where you where the missing moment and missing who I am. So by, by going back to the to the to the, to the community well-being. We're not talking saving the world. We're talking about finding a way to help people around you. It can be co Listen, it can be one of the most cool things is when mothers co-op and help each other out with childcare. And half the time, they spend more time hanging out together than going off to what they're going to do. That's right. Know? That's right. But you know, it, it's 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 a carpooling. You know, finding ways help people people with a similar mission and situation like you to have a better life. Mario, one of the greatest things I remember we did when we lived in the same town is we had we started this marriage group. Yeah. You know, you start you started this marriage group. You got a couple of couples to get together. And the group meeting was almost like you know, was was not was fantastic. But in, you know, talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Because you're the one who put it together. So Well, I'll say this and then we'll kind of wrap this interview up. We've gone long, um, which has been great. It's been beautiful. But I'll say, you know, with this that marriage group that we started was just it's not that anybody else has done. It's just an opportunity to meet once a month to have community it's fellowship. Simple, yeah, that's it. Fancy. Shared dinner. We went to each other's homes and and we had an opportunity. And I know there's other people who are doing great things like that, like the domestic church movement. Um, is is has been awesome. But really, I just want to kind of bring this whole thing to a close here. And I think this is the key takeaway, as you're talking about. And you really nailed it right at the end there, where you said if if we're not operating from a place of wellness, we end up turning inward. And we end up trying to, and sometimes we need to be able to turn inwards to figure out what's wrong. How do I get healthy? And that, that movement isn't a bad one, but sometimes we need to turn, if, if we're so focused on just turning inward on figuring out what's wrong with me, we're missing the opportunity to love and to connect with others. And if we do the work of, of managing our wellness across these five domains that we spoke about, it's going to make us freer to be able to give to others. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It, the, the living the good life, the Catholic vision of what we're supposed to be is, is living in love and being able to give of ourselves completely in freedom to others. And so just want to encourage the listeners, please, to, to find wellness in their life, to seek the domains that are there. Um, but Carlos, you know, people, have, if they've enjoyed this interview, is there any way that they can find out more about what you're doing and what you're getting started? Anything you want to plug here towards the end? Thanks, Mario, for the question. Right now, I'm in the process of setting up a, uh, a coaching practice. And uh, and also, we're going to be setting up, we're working on setting up some education components, really an exciting platform. Uh, and we're, we're shooting to get this started um, on October 1st. So you can go to peakhumansystems.com um, October 1st, and we will have some content there for you and some opportunities to learn about coaching and 
The goal is going to be to provide services that can be individual, but also ways to serve the community through this process. And, and, you know, and we have some interesting people to connect on it. And I, I'm working with one that you might seem, hopefully you'll find very familiar on this show. Maybe That's it. Yeah. Something. We're going to be working together on this. So Carlos, no, beautiful. Thank you. October 1st, looking for a target launch date sometime in the fall. If people have resonated with this, I think it's going to be great. Peak human systems. We're going to talk about peak performance in a, in a, in a future episode. Um, but we really just kind of want to nail this, this concept down of health and wellness for today. Um, and so Carlos, the last question to ask everybody, what gives you hope? Christ. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a, that's an easy, um, what does that mean in, in your particular? Well, though? I would say, well, let me, let me, let me, let me go more pragmatic. I mean, Christ, God, who God has been in my life, um, to seeing him many years operate people's lives, seeing what, you know, but, but really beyond what gives, what gives me hope is life is the ability to be more alive every day and the gift to be able to help people really become who they are. You know, it's one person at a time, you know, but uh, I don't know, I would say humanity. I, I believe that we as people are just created in such an amazing, every person is such an amazing gift. And so I would say humanity, but humanity in light of Christ would probably be the best way to put it. I know it's very esoteric, but I, I that's it, so bro. Keeps, it's what, keeps, what keeps me going. No, I know it can be done. I, I know, and I know that God equips us with what we need along the way and many times our sufferings and our struggles as we look back at it afterwards you know it's a a close to the movie inside inside out if you ever saw it one of my favorites and what's beautiful sadness you know who is this like you know the ugly duckling of the whole movie at the end shows that how important sadness was for community mm -hmm. for happiness for everything else so even so yeah so hope is the place of knowing that it's every person has a really irrepeatable, important purpose in life. And the well-being is a form of self-care, of helping um, groom oneself, like watering, like, watering, like watering a garden to become that. And in whatever path I've taken in my life, you know, talking about a mantra, you know, and, and, every, and every week, you know, I'm supposed to pick up a, a quote or something to keep me thinking through it. And what I've worked on this week is um, I've gone a long way, but the best is yet to come. So that would be the way I would close up my hope is it's, you know, you look back only to see how far I've come, but the best is yet to come. And no matter what happens, even if the Lord calls me after I leave here, the minute I return to the interview, heaven is the best to come. But between now and then, there's a lot of great things he asked me to do here. And that's my vocation. That's my social. That's my community. That's why I want to be healthy because I want to live a long life or at least do what I can to make sure that I don't accelerate or prevent doing what God has called me to do, which I'm in many ways. My kids talk about anxiety, about not knowing what they're going to do when they grow up, you know, and this need at 14 or 12 to know what they're going to do when they grow up. But I tell me, you know, that's just about to figure out what he's going to do when he grows up. So, <laughs> and humor and humor. I love humor. So yeah. thank you, Mario. It's been, it's been really cool chatting with you. Yeah. Likewise, bro. It's been good. And thanks. And really thanks for the opportunity to talk here. I, I, and love your show. I think what you're doing is phenomenal and it's uh, very humbling. And I know I was reluctant to do it, to try to contribute considering the amazing people you keep on bringing on the show. So thank you for doing that. And most of all, thank you for um, just for your conversation style, for what you bring out in people. It's really cool. And that's a gift of you. So gratitude being an admiration, being two key components of wellness, you know, I close with those. 
Thank you, Mario. Well, well, thank you, bro. I appreciate it. All right, man. God bless. Well, that's it, everybody. Another great episode's in the books for you. What's the takeaway for today's episode? Um, wellness takes energy. You know, everybody wishes that they could be healthier or thinks that that it's just going to kind of happen magically. It's, it's not. We have a tendency towards laziness, towards uh, being unhealthy. And in some cases, I think that's really kind of what the church is speaking about when it talks about concupiscence, is that there's this, there's this tendency towards the sin, towards things that aren't good for us. And so if you want to be healthy in life, it is going to require some engagement. You got to look at those five areas in your life and ask yourself, am I healthy across these domains? Or what can I do to improve my career, to improve my family, to improve my finances, my physical or my community well-being? And you can do it, guys. You can. Honestly, you can. And so my encouragement to you is to just stick it in the mud, pick one of those domains, and try to get better there. And then as you make progress on one, whether it's physical or financial or spiritual, whatever it is, pick one. You'll see that it will bleed over into the other areas. That's been my journey and my experience as, as I've made changes in my life to try to be healthier and as a person. I've seen it bleed out into other aspects of my life. And so my encouragement to you is to do that. Just start somewhere, start small, and get that ball rolling. So God bless you, everybody. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, at Dr. Mario Sacasa. And God bless and be good. Thank you.